I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. Yeah, I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told. So I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. Welcome back, everybody. It's another edition of the Athletic Hockey Show. Ian Mendes alongside Sean McIndoe on this episode of the podcast, the Vancouver Canucks. Are they maybe starting to write a miraculous chapter here? We'll talk about the seeds being planted for an epic run on the West Coast. NHL general managers met this week. We'll dig into their agenda and talk about uh, what they talked about and maybe some things that we would have liked to have had on that agenda as well. In this week's installment of Granger Things, Jesse Granger will uh, drop by to analyze Robin Leonard's pointed comments at the podium this week where he straight up accused the National Hockey League of lying. We'll open up our listener mailbag. And uh, this week in hockey history has us thinking about the most obscure players in NHL history that hold a spot in the record book. So we'll get to all of that and more coming up in this jam-packed edition of the Athletic Hockey Show. Uh, but Sean, as we bring you in here for the first uh, first segment here, I just want to ask you about something because you and I, are, look, we've talked to people, you and I went to university together, we're the same age group, and we're that, that Gen X that, uh, as it comes to vaccines, uh, we were like, we are all in on this vaccine, and I got one scheduled for next week, and you were fortunate enough to get one this week. and. You're now doing this podcast within 24 hours of having uh, uh, your first dose of the vaccine. And I think it's important that at the very least, we talk about those people that have been vaccinated, talk about how you're feeling, how you're doing. And so that's the question. How is Sean McAdoo doing about 20 hours or so uh, since he uh, since he had his first dose of the AstraZeneca vaccine? Honestly, I'm pretty close to 100 percent. I uh, my my wife and I both ended up getting it at pretty much the same time. Uh, which isn't ideal, but it's in Ontario here. It's such a mess. I mean, you said fortunate. That's the key word. You got to luck into getting a slot. And uh, we did. We took it uh, when we could get it and uh, sort of figured like, yeah, we came home. And we told the kids like, hey, you guys might be on your own for the next little while. You know, Mom and dad might might have a rough time. So far, so good. Both of us are, are uh, pretty much uh, pretty much 100 percent, maybe a little stiff, a little bit of a headache. But that's it. That's it. So, uh, yeah, good. Like I say, fingers crossed, check back with me in a day and maybe it'll be a different story. But so far, uh, it's, it was a great experience. Yeah, that's great. That's great to hear. So um, now let's start talking about the hockey from the week. And I, I got to tell you, Sean, that game on Sunday night, I know that there were some people that were like, oh, my gosh, this is like losing to the, the Zamboni driver. And you got to use that voice, too, right? Like, yep. uh, oh, you, or, that's a bang on yeah. impression. <laughs> 
Yeah, it was four one. All that, okay. But let's let let's let's remove the fact that the Maple Leafs were involved in this equation. Let's give a little bit of love to the Vancouver Canucks. Like, I got to tell you, Sean, there was a point last week, and I think you and I were doing the podcast. We're like, man, why are they coming back to play? This is pointless. And they've come back. They've won two games. And as you start to look at Dom Luce and some of these other people as they as they have their uh, playoff probabilities, the Vancouver Canucks aren't done. Like there is, there is a faint pulse of a playoff heartbeat going for the Vancouver Canucks. They've won two in a row. They got four in a row coming up against Ottawa. Let's talk about if they can somehow get themselves into relevancy. What are we talking about here in terms of great comeback stories in hockey history here? If the Vancouver Canucks make themselves relevant here down the stretch, Sean. Yeah, it's it, it would be a fantastic one. Just it, purely in terms of the numbers, it would be right up there. Top five, top ten, uh, you know, I, I probably top five of the cap era at the very least. Um, it, and you you put them alongside. Obviously, we got to start with the 2019 Blues being dead last place and and coming all the way back and not just making the playoffs, but but having the the, the Stanley Cup run. Uh, the 2015 Senators, the one that you and I will will remember, the Andrew Hammond uh, second half. Uh, was a crazy comeback. The Ducks did something similar the year after. There have been a few other teams, uh, and and this would be comparable to that. Uh, maybe not quite as uh, as as outrageous as far as the, the big numbers that they had to climb back from, but it would be in that ballpark. But when you factor in the context, when you look at the circumstances around it, uh, I, I think this would move up to number one. I mean, this is the fact that they went through what they went through as a team, that they endured that, uh, and, and to pull it off with the schedule that they're going to have to play. And, and that is still what worries me. I mean, I, I think we all kind of had two worries when we found out the Canucks were coming back, above and beyond just, is this even safe? Is is this even the right thing to do? The first was that they were going to come back rusty and just get their doors blown off. And, and it was going to look like one team playing for the playoffs and one team playing an exhibition game. And we didn't get that at all. I mean, the, you, you can... Say whatever you want to say about who had the scoring chances and whose goalies did what in those Leaf games. Uh, the Canucks were right there. They were skating stride for stride with these guys, and and uh, there, there was a lot of fight left in them. And, and that was impressive. But, man, the schedule down the stretch for these guys is so condensed still, and they've got to play so many games, and you just wonder, even now, even having, having watched them twice uh, beat the Leafs in, in impressive fashion, you just wonder if at some point does the adrenaline, does the initial surge of emotion wear off and, and you're just left with this horrible grind of a schedule. If they can fight through that and still catch Montreal and get that last spot, that's going to be an all-time great story. And, and it'll be, you know, you and I have talked a few times about is there ever such a thing as Canada's team? Is there ever such a thing as a team the whole country roots for? And it's almost the answer is almost always no. But I really feel like if, if they can pull this off, you got to be able to get behind it at least a little bit. I know, you know, if you're a Montreal fan, you don't want to lose your spot. If you're a Toronto fan, you don't want to play these guys in the first round after what we just saw. But it, just as a person, you got to root for these guys. This would be an amazing story. Yeah. And, and I think it's amazing too. It would come 10 years after the Vancouver Canucks were the antithesis of Canada's team, right? Like in 2011, you go back to that team that went to the cup final and they had Alex Burroughs and Max Lejoie, uh, uh, or not, sorry, not Max Lejoie, uh, Maxime Lapierre 
and you know go through like Ryan Kessler and Ryan BX. Kessler, like everybody they, was diving and they had a punchability. The they had a punchability factor Absolutely. that was off the charts, right? Like you almost felt bad because the Sedins were like these classy gentlemen. You're like, yeah, I don't think you belong here, but you're there. Yep. And now 10 All-time years- All-time heel team. Yeah, in NHL, unbelievable. Fun to root against yeah, team in NHL. Like, they, they made the Boston Bruins with Brad Marchand- Seemed lovable. Into the baby faces in yeah. that series, which is- <laughs> it's, I know. And then, then to think that 10 years later, imagine the even the notion of the Vancouver Canucks becoming Canada's team. Because I think a lot of people say, if you had to pick one team to cheer for in Canada, it's always Winnipeg, right? Like nobody yeah. has this- and it's nobody partly, hates Winnipeg. Nobody hates Winnipeg. It's like geographically, historically, there's no reason to hate them. But the Vancouver Canucks, and I think what's interesting about the Canucks this year too, Sean, is there's a real us against the world mentality with that group, with those that those players. And I, I, I you know, you've seen it in in the reporting from Thomas Drantz. You've seen it a little bit in the reporting from Elliot Friedman and others. There's going to be some sort of reckoning with the Vancouver Canucks and management and ownership at the end of this season where the players are going to say, we didn't appreciate being kept in the dark. We didn't appreciate the communication. We didn't appreciate the way we were treated. And right now, Travis Green and those 18 skaters and two goalies every night are saying it's us against the world. And there's something to be said for that mentality that maybe this isn't a, an aberration for winning two games. Maybe it's the sign of uh, they could maybe have a little bit of momentum down the stretch. It, it is. I mean, that is a, you can roll your eyes at it if you want, but that is one of the great narratives in sports that whole you know it's us against the world and let's be honest 90 percent of the time it's fake it's <laughs> yeah. manufactured yeah. it's something that either the media drums up or sometimes the fan base or a lot of times it comes internally the team just sits there and says it's us against the world and you're sitting there going well no it's not but if you believe it then it gains some power you know in this case it's there's some truth to it and just the circumstances you know th- this is not a normal year. This is, you know, when they say, oh, we look around and it's the 20 guys in this room and that's it. That's all these guys are seeing a lot. You know, you, you can't go anywhere. You can't do anything. You, you're, it's the same faces every day. And you're just kind of sitting there going, hey, we were written off. And, and look, all of us who were saying maybe they shouldn't come back, maybe they should look at this, maybe they should push it back. Um, you know, a week ago when it was with JT Miller making those comments, uh, you know, all of us were coming from a place of we're worried about these guys as people before players. But yeah, they could absolutely flip that around and say, yeah, man, the whole hockey world didn't even want us to play anymore. We were so out of it. There wasn't yeah. even any point in us playing games. And here we are. Like I'm you can hear like I'm getting pumped up just talking about it because it would be such a great story. And I'm trying not to because we all know, man, they got these four games coming oh. up against the Senators yeah. and everybody's going, you win those four games. That's your four games in hand and you're right back in it. But what have we been talking about all year with the Senators? Yeah. The sickos, right? Like we, this would be the ultimate sicko move to come in and just crush this feel-good story just as it's getting off the ground. Exactly. Uh, with a couple of classic pesky Sen wins that uh, throw the whole thing off the rails. You know, yeah, it's funny you mentioned too the term. You know, sometimes people do roll their eyes, right, with the term uh, us against the world. I think people in the hockey world, Sean, this week were rolling their eyes when the National Hockey League released a statement uh, on, on Tuesday following a, uh, a jury in Minnesota uh, finding that uh, former police officer guilty on um, multiple uh, counts of the death of, of George Floyd. And the NHL put out a statement that read simply as follows. While we hope the end of the trial offers a chance for healing, we remain committed to actively engaging in the movement for equality, and we invite our fans to join us in supporting 
systemic change. And it, it, it's one of those ones where I'm, I'm, and I don't, I'm really torn on this whole idea of whether or not corporations and leagues and teams should feel the responsibility of just jumping in on every event like this, right? Like sometimes you'll you'll be scrolling Twitter and it'll be like, Pillsbury and Toaster Strudel stands against racism. Yeah. And you're like, I guess. Okay. Great. Yeah. That's awesome. Bagel Bites is against misogyny. Cool. Like, I get it. But mm -hmm. I I look at this and I and I almost feel like there's part of me that wishes they didn't say anything. And I understand that if they didn't say anything, we would also be criticizing them. But this was a real bland statement from the NHL that I almost feel like maybe you should have maybe you should have taken a pass. I don't know. Yeah. It it wasn't it certainly wasn't a great statement. I mean, the the fact that you were able to read it in 15 seconds or whatever it is uh you know did did not mention any names just talking about the trial if you didn't follow the news you wouldn't even necessarily know what they were referring to and you compare it to the statements of the other leagues it, it there is no comparison and look this is the same it's a similar sort of conversation we would have been having last summer um and uh it, it's it's tough i have some sympathy to the league this is not easy uh you've got a very wide and and diverse fan base and in, in terms of what they want from you in this situation, including I'm sure a lot of fans who don't want to hear anything. You, you've got fans who um, are, are going to object to pretty much anything you say. It, it's, it's not easy to come up with the messaging. Uh, and I, I have sympathy for whoever ends up being tasked with that to, to try to figure out what's, what's the right way to play this. But that said, that, that doesn't mean that anything goes. It doesn't mean that, that anything you put out there is acceptable. And, and this wasn't enough. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, uh, there are certain moments where choosing to say nothing is saying something. And in this case, the NHL chose not to say nothing, but to say next to nothing. Uh, and that's a choice. That, you, there's, there's just certain things you, you don't get the option of sitting out as much as the, the corporate PR side of things would probably prefer that. Uh, it's just not an option. So, again, I'm, I'm not going to... I'm not going to trash the NHL for what they put out there, uh, but I was disappointed. I, I would have liked to have seen something better. I, I think that virtually every other league out there did something better. And um, again, you know, this is it's it's kind of similar to what we saw with the NHL last summer. Always seeming to follow, never leading, um, and, and always seeming as if they're trying to do the minimal amount that they can get away with. And, uh, you know, at some point that in itself is is making a statement, even if it's not the one that you might intend. As the league put that statement out, and again, they got criticized. What do you think the league office reaction was once they saw the Las Vegas Raiders tweet and all of the attention yeah. in the sports world kind of went towards them, right? Yeah, it, it did. It, it took, took some of the heat off. And, you know, again, this is the... Um, this stuff is is not easy, and then we should point out uh, some of the NHL teams put out much stronger statements that that I thought were you know were did did a far better job. And then yeah, the Raiders put out that uh, strange thing, which which initially raised a lot of eyebrows. Now I guess apparently George Foley's brother has since said that he appreciated it and that you know he he wasn't bothered by it. So uh, you know you got you got to take that context into it too. But um, yeah, th this is you know one of those things where. Uh, again, I have, I have sympathy for, yeah. for some of these leagues and these teams because they're, 
there's there there are a lot of people who, and perhaps rightly so, are, are just you're never going to please everyone, and you're going to take you're going to take shots from one corner or another, no matter what happens. And uh, but uh, yeah, that that Raiders statement was was certainly a strange one, and and maybe did take some of the initial heat off of the NHL doing something that was very bland, but not strange to the same level as, as what they did. Yeah. You know, and I, I think what happens to it, social media, I think there's a rush to judge the NHL or the Raiders and then quote, tweet them and mock them. And okay. Yeah. What I wish is why isn't there a rush to educate people? Why is there always a rush to, uh, you know, embarrass people or point, where's the rush to educate people? That That's my point. And especially with the Mark yep. Davis thing with the Raiders, I got some time for that. Like the, the, like it was, it was misguided maybe, but let's, let's understand, let, let's not criticize somebody who was trying to do the right thing, but didn't do it right. Didn't do it correctly. Maybe like that, I guess yep. that's, that's part of my issue is that sometimes we just race to, uh, to dunk on people instead of racing to just kind of work with them a little bit and work with them. And, and also, you know what, like at some point, and you could say this for a whole lot of issues at some point, you got to convince some people on the other side. And obviously when you look at something like George Floyd, you're saying like, what even is the other side? (laughs) But uh, there there's, you know, at some point you've got to convince some people who maybe don't agree with you 100% on every issue. And the way to do that is not to dunk on everyone uh, you know, and, and, and when you, when you dunk, yeah, you're going to get lots of retweets and lots of applause and pats on the back from the people who are already on your side. But I, I guess the question is, do you have enough people on your side to affect the sort of change in the world you want to see? And if not, you got to bring some more people in and, and, and maybe think more about how do I do that instead of how do I get that kind of short-term endorphin rush of bumping my cloud up by by having some monster dunk on somebody who's already been dunked on a thousand times uh, by everybody else. Um, I, you know, I'd like to see some more thought put into that. Obviously, an issue like this, the emotions are raw for a lot of people. Yeah, and you know, you, you you're not going to necessarily sit down and strategically think through. Um, if you're reacting in anger, the anger is probably justified. Um, but you're right. At some point, there has to be a little bit more than that where you think and go, okay, how do we how do we make sure that, that this translates to actual change and and, uh, and and we make the world a better place uh, and and not just one where we're all screaming at each other all the time? Yeah. Otherwise, you just live in an echo chamber and, uh, yep. you know. And Gotta get you out go. of the bubble. Exactly. All right. So to the National Hockey League general managers meetings we go, Sean. First of all, I need to know, because now usually you do a fr- uh, Friday, your column comes out, right? Uh, yep. Are we getting some sort of secret transcript of the latest NHL general managers uh, meetings coming out on Friday? Uh, we're we're not, and, and part ah, of the reason on. for that, I, I I gave the spies the week off, but oh. uh, the part of it is that there wasn't really a ton of news coming out of this. This is and understandably so, right? This is usually the time of year where, uh, in in true NHL fashion. Right after the trade deadline, that's when you get all the GMs together in a room and, and, and have them all hang out and golf together for a few days. Uh, obviously, under the circumstances this year, they're not doing that. Uh, the, the, the Zoom meeting apparently went a lot quicker and not uh, not a lot of big news coming out of it. But uh, yeah, there's, a, there's a couple things. There's you know, a few, uh, few discussions here and there. Pierre uh, LeBrun had, uh, had the scoop, as always, and, and he reported that out uh, 
yesterday, and uh, you know there was there was some interesting stuff coming out of it at least. Yeah, and and you know one of those things is Yarmo Kekalainen, who by the way Yarmo was a guest of the uh, Athletic Hockey Show podcast, the Two Man Advantage Edition with Pierre LeBrun, Scott Burnside. So check that out if you haven't listened to it. And Yarmo, Sean, apparently was the one who suggested. Uh, what if we altered the rules for puck over glass? And I know a lot of people have strong feelings. I think you're part of that uh, that group that might have some strong opinions and feelings on on puck over glass. Yarmo Kekalainen, general manager of the Blue Jackets, floated the idea of what if um, for puck over glass, the only way you get penalized is if you determine that the player had full control of the puck, right? Like that was, Yarmo was like, you know, I don't want one of these things where somebody's just kind of sweeping at it or something. But if you have full control of the puck and clear it over the glass without it hitting the glass or anything else, at that point, it should be a penalty. Do you think that that will help? Or again, we're just going down the road of you're taking what should was supposed to be a black and white rule and now adding that 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 big gray area to it. No, you know, I I think on its own, I think that's a good suggestion. I, we've, you don't see it often, but every now and then you'll see a defenseman just swing a stick at a puck yeah. that's three feet in the air and it launches it into the same. Well, that's, I mean, that's not intentional. There's, there's no intention here. And, and this is the thing about this rule that, that bothers so many people. It's, it's when you get the clearly unintentional plays that result in a penalty. Um, again, this is one of those things where in, in true NHL fashion, they take something that needs a big fix and they argue over the little tiny fix. And it's the sort of thing where even if you think the little tiny fix would make it better, you're kind of sitting there going, why don't you think a little bit bigger? And then the fact that apparently this got shot down, uh, it gives you a sense of, of where we're headed as far as changing this rule, which is that it doesn't sound like there's much hope of that happening. Uh, you know, I, I'm in the camp where I say you just treat it like icing. Treat it like icing. It, it makes no sense to explain to a new fan that if you're in your own zone and you shoot the puck over there, it's a two-minute penalty. But if you shoot it down the ice, that's not allowed, but it's not a penalty, but you kind of get penalized, but you don't go to the penalty box. And oh, by the way, if you then shoot it into the bench, th- that's totally fine. Nothing happens at all. Uh, any puck that's either shot down the ice or into the stands, whether it hits the glass or not, whether anything should just be face off in your own zone, no cha- no line change for for the other team, and and off you go. Treat it all the same, make it consistent. To me, that makes sense. If you still want to have a, a delay a game rule for anyone who you feel did it intentionally, like the rule used to be, keep that. Uh, you know, treat it like icing. Otherwise, that that's the way I would do it. But there doesn't seem to be an appetite for that. People seem to like how the rule works, and and certainly the GMs seem to like it. I'm okay with that. I've I've come down off the ledge a little bit on this rule. Years ago in the Grantland days, I I wrote and I said that this was the worst rule in all of sports. I've I've walked that back a little bit. I still don't like the rule, but I, I do see why some people like it. The, the one thing I will say when it comes to puck over glass, whether you like it, whether you hate it, please don't tell me that the reason you like this rule is because it's black and white and it's called the same every time and there's no you know there's no it's it's objective. And that's it. Automatic call. Because if that's the case, I don't know why I got to watch all four officials huddle up for five minutes a couple of times a week to figure out, triangulate where a puck went out or whether it clipped a molecule of the glass on the way out. Uh, that's not black and white to me. We're, we're going to have these big huddles where we got to figure out whether the rule actually applies. 
then uh, don't don't tell me it's black and white and gets called the same way every time. Okay, let me ask you this question. Okay, here's my here's my proposal for puck over glass. You tell me if this is a terrible idea or maybe something we can work with. Every team gets one free get out of jail card. Like you get to have one puck over glass every game. The minute you have a second, now it's penalized. Yeah, Hear me that, out. I mean that's, okay? that's not there, bad. It's not bad. That's right? not like, bad. There's some logic there that 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 yep. that curbs the idea that you're doing it intentionally. But it also mm-hmm. allows for one miscue, mistake, honest, I couldn't believe. Like, Okay, so that's yeah. my suggestion. What Every game you get one freebie, the minute that's checked off, now you're in penalty territory. I, You know, I, I still like my version of treat it like icing, but your version would certainly, I think, be an improvement over what we got. And look, I know the, the thing, anytime you bring this up, people say, well, then the defenseman's just going to shoot the puck into the stands every time there's there's any pressure. And, uh, you know, first of all, you can still call that a penalty. Every other, I don't think people realize this because there's so many puck over the glass. There's a whole page of delay of game penalties in the rule book. And, and they involve all sorts of different things. And every single one of them has the referee yeah. have to decide, is it intentional or not? Pushing the net off is a delay of game penalty if it's done intentionally. Now, imagine if every time the net got knocked off, that was an automatic penalty, no matter what, even if a guy tripped over his own skates and went headfirst into it. It would be ridiculous, but that's kind of what we're doing here. You can still call the ones that look intentional. The thing that, that and, and I'd, I'd love to hear your view on this, because anytime I go down this road arguing about this rule, I always reach this dead end. And, and the dead end is, it feels like there's a certain segment of fans who remember that before this rule, Pucks were getting shot out all the time. There was just constant pucks being flipped out over the glass. And then there's other fans like me who have virtually no memory of that ever happening. And you know me. I complain about the refs a lot. I have, I remember, man, I could tell you stuff that happened in 1995 that I'm still upset about. So if, if, there was, if that was happening, I'm pretty sure I would have remembered it. And yet there are people out there who absolutely will swear to you that there was an epidemic of this stuff happening before they put the rule in. Do you remember no, that? No, I'm with okay. you. I don't, it's just like the offside rule where they changed it and it was like, well, I, there was the one Matt Duchesne, I think there was yeah. another one, Tampa and Montreal in the playoffs, yep. but there was like two and people were like, we got to crack down on this. I'm like, well, now you've created a bigger problem. I'm with you on this puck. I don't remember growing up and watching games be like, Oh man, Eric Desjardins, he did it again. He cleared the puck over the glass. Like, I don't yeah. remember. I have no recollection of this. I, 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 you know, you would think it would have been happening all the time it to like is. Gretzky's Oilers. Like, oh, the puck's in our zone, flip it out of there. Ha ha, no penalty, you know. <laughs> yeah. But it would have been a penalty because we had common sense uh, delay a game back then if it was intentional. I don't remember it happening. And, but I, 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 anytime I bring it up, I talk to people who are absolutely adamant. That it happened not just a little bit, but all the time. And then it stopped when this, and it's it's one of those things where you're just like, it okay, I, I guess we just remember it differently, but it's it's very strange to me. Yeah, would love to hear from our listeners. If you're old enough and you remember hockey from like the 80s, 90s, early 2000s, tell us, did we miss something here? And was there Give an epidemic? Give me some examples. Yes. Give me, tell me a game. I will go back and check the game on YouTube and go, oh yeah, you're right. That did happen and, and I missed it. Uh, but people are just adamant that it was it was all over the place, and I, I can't I can't find it. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone. 
Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, Sean. Uh, you know, usually when we bring uh, Jesse Granger in, it's uh, part of our segment that is, uh, you know, brought to you by BetMGM, which is the uh, exclusive uh, exclusive betting partner uh, with us here at the Athletic. But today, we're not going to be talking about uh, uh, favorites and underdogs and, and lines and things like that. Uh, Jesse Granger covers the Vegas Golden Knights for us, and uh, I got to tell you, Jesse, on Wednesday when I started to see the quotes from Robin Leonard enter my timeline, I thought, wow. This is something. So I know that that consumed your day. That's going to consume this conversation. Let me start by asking you, and I love Robin. I covered him when he was, uh, you know, in Ottawa. Uh, he's a, he's a uh, you know, really outspoken guy. At what point in that Zoom conversation uh, or that, that media availability on Wednesday did you realize, wow, we got ourselves a story here? Well, so it, it started with Robin taking questions, and he only took a couple questions, and then... Once the questions were over, he kind of paused, and usually that's when the team says, "Thanks, thanks, Robin. You can get up and leave." But no, he like he paused, and we all thought like, and especially knowing Robin, and and like you said, he is very outspoken. He is what I wish more athletes were in that he just speaks what's on his mind whenever it comes to his mind, and um, we could kind of tell that that he had something else on his mind that day, and he unprompted with no questions about it just started he basically said i feel the need to say this and robin is a guy who as you mentioned has been outspoken for years and i think because of that he's earned the reputation as as that guy and i think because of that a lot of players reach out to him um so i i think the the words everyone saw robin leonard say yesterday were not his own i mean they they are his own but He's speaking for more than just himself, um, and 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 he went on to say that he he isn't thrilled with the way the NHL has handled um, the mental health aspect of this entire COVID season and and all these COVID protocols. And he was under the impression, um, very strongly, clearly by not only the way he said things, but the conviction he said them um, with. And he basically said that he was under the impression that he and his teammates would have the COVID protocols that they've been under for about a year now, um, slightly relaxed, not majorly relaxed, just slightly relaxed if they were to get 85% of the team vaccinated. And then once the team did get 85% vaccinated, which the Golden Knights are now, um, those, pro- those, those promises from the league were not fulfilled, according to Robin Leonard. Obviously, the league released a statement shortly after saying that those promises were never made. So there is some disconnect um, in that somewhere between the league and the Players Association and the Golden Knights and Robin Leonard. But um, he clearly felt very strongly about him. 
Yeah, no, I, I'm curious to pick, like, just to kind of keep this conversation going. I think what happens, guys, is a lot of fans will look at the, the comments from a millionaire athlete and say, well, I, you know what? Uh, suck it up, man. You're getting millions of dollars during the pandemic. Um, I've lost my job during COVID or I've had work reduced. And I think what's really important for people to understand is th- stuff can be right. two things. Okay. It's not, it, it's not either or like Robin Leonard and millionaire athletes can be suffering and people who are, you know, making far less can also be suffering. It's not either or. And I think sometimes there's a lack of empathy for athletes because you see the zeros in their paycheck and you feel like they should be happy with the way it is. And I'm really happy that and Robin has been arguably the most outspoken person on mental health in the, in the hockey world in the last few years. I'm happy he's shining a light on this because I do not believe Robin Leonard is the only player who feels yeah. this way. I, I think you guys would agree that when you start to kind of and hockey players are robots, right? They're they're just hey, listen, pucks in deep, play 110. percent But when you get the guys that aren't robots, like Robin, now you're getting somewhere. Now you're you're, you're starting to get a, a better picture of how things are, right, guys? And so, sometimes it needs to be said. I mean, we we just talked about the Canucks. JT Miller saying what he said changed the NHL schedule, and, and you know maybe there's a bit of a JT Miller effect here, where Robin Leonard looks at that and and. You know, maybe like you said, there's other players saying, "Hey, we should speak up on, on this." And you're absolutely right. I mean, there's this idea that, "Oh, you're a millionaire, you don't get to, uh, to say that things have been tough on you." I mean, it, the, the conversations that we've been having collectively about mental health over the last couple of years. If you have been paying any attention, you know that somebody having a big paycheck does not mean that they're immune from this stuff, and. Uh, and, and, you know, it, this, the last year and a bit, it's been brutal on everyone and it doesn't have to be a competition right. where you get to say, Hey, it's been harder on me. So nobody else, uh, no, you know what? It's been hard on everyone and yeah, to different degrees, but for Robin Leonard is to stand up and say, Hey, we feel like we were misled on this. And it, it doesn't have to be a, you know, one side is telling the truth and the other side is lying. There can be misunderstandings. There can be things that were represented as possibilities and, um, it, that that's possible. I, I think the one place that he does deserve the criticism is when he compared it to prison. I, I think that was the one piece where it kind of felt like, okay, there you're overshooting the runway a little bit. And, and that was the moment where I think for at least some fans and some people listening, he, he kind of lost them. Um, right. but he went back and, and afterwards, and, and, you know, Jesse, you can speak to this. He, he made some further statements on Twitter to clarify what it is he meant, and, and I think he expressed regret that he had used that specific word. Not only did he jump right on Twitter and, and express that, um, but he called me afterwards, and, and I spoke with Robin for about 30 minutes after um, a, a short time after that press conference because he wanted to clarify that statement, and he, he mentioned his the painting on the back of his mask um, and, and said that it so it was a 10 minute press conference and he was trying to fit a lot into it. And, and I think he, he's not a professional public speaker as, as often as he does stick up for people in these types of things. He's, he, he, he met, he basically admitted, I made a mistake with the wording on that. I shouldn't have compared it to prison. And he, he said that I use that as a metaphor quite a bit with my mental health. And, and he mentioned the painting on the back of his mask. It's an eye, it's like an eye socket with bar, prison bars on it with a hand reaching through. And he said, with bipolar, with depression, with anxiety, the things that Robin Leonard deals with, um, at times it can feel like you're inside a prison in your own mind. And 
if he would have said it like that, I don't think anyone would have had a problem with it. But the way he initially said it, obviously created that people weren't thrilled with that and, and understandably so 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 he did say that and I'm glad you guys brought up the 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 fact that these athletes can have can struggle too and and so I've I've spoken with Robin quite a bit over the last year and and with Eric Cusin who runs the same here global uh, mental health organization that Robin has done so, so much work with and they always say like you don't either have mental health issues or not have mental health issues Everyone has deals with things like this. Everyone does. And, and some people deal with really difficult stuff and some people deal with not so difficult stuff. Be- but just because it's not the most difficult thing anyone's ever dealt with doesn't mean it's not difficult for that person in that moment. And I think this is another it's, it's not the exact same thing, but the, the, the issues the NHL players are dealing with right now. Just because they aren't, or yeah, there's frontline workers out there who are going through much harder times than the NHL players. But that doesn't mean we can't see that the NHL players are having a hard time. And these NHL players are going through a lot. It's not like Robin Leonard is not out here complaining for no reason at all. These guys have been going from the rink to their house, back to the rink, back to their house, and only that for an entire calendar year. And these guys are under intense amounts of pressure. I mean, yes, being an NHL player is sweet. But at the same time, you also have an incredible amount of stress and pressure to perform on a nightly basis. Your livelihood depends on it. And these guys have a lot of releases on a long road trip that's packed with pressure. They have a lot of releases going out to dinner with the guys, things like that. They take your mind away from those pressures. And this year, for an entire year, going all the way back to the bubble in Edmonton and Toronto, they haven't had those. And and not ju- this isn't just Robin Leonard. He was speaking for players on the Golden Knights. He was speaking for players around the league. And I spoke with a prominent agent yesterday who told me he believes there is a pronounced increase of instances of anxiety and depression amongst players across the league and that some of the players have mentioned their mental health deteriorates when they're on long road trips. And he, he his quote was, I've heard players say they're not even enjoying this season. They just want to get through it. They just want this season to be over with. Yeah. And, and, and they're NHL players, right? So they can't say that now because you've got to be tough. Right. You've got to, like Ian said, you've got to be the robot. And, uh, but I, I really think, just as fans, we should prepare ourselves. We're going to hear some stuff in the years to come. And, you know, hopefully at some point soon, this will all feel like it was behind us. But I think you're going to, for, for years to come, you'll hear players who were part of this season say, I hated that year. That was the worst year of my life. I wish we hadn't played. In hindsight, you know, yeah, did we make a lot of money? Sure. Was it the right business decision? Sure. I wish we hadn't played. My heart wasn't in it. Uh, I didn't have my best season. I barely remember some of the stuff that happened. Uh, it sucked, and I wish we hadn't done it. Um, I think we're going to hear that from a lot of guys, and I think there's probably a lot of guys who would like to say it right now if they felt like they weren't going against some form of hockey culture by expressing any of that. Yeah, you know, the thing I find fascinating about the road trips this year, and 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 you guys know this, like the, the players are constantly being tested, right? Like rapid testing multiple times. Um, Every day they're getting tested. What I've never understood was the 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 restrictions put on them within the team hotel. Like I've always thought, why couldn't they get together and play cards in somebody's yeah. room? Like you're 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 watching them on the ice. Somebody scores a goal and they they all jump in together. You see mouth guards hanging out. You see them on the bench. You're telling me that when they get back to the Ritz Carlton or the West End or wherever they're staying in whatever city that. The only thing they can do, single file in, go to your room. You can go to the meal room, grab a to-go meal, get to your room. 
Like, where's the logic in that? Like, these guys are spending all this time together everywhere else. And the one time that they're maybe craving some human contact and conversation and a game of cards or having a di- dinner together and busting each other, uh, you know, like like players love to do. And you're telling them they can't do that. That's where the frustration comes in, right? Right. And and I'm glad you brought that up because I think when when during the press conference, Robin mentioned relaxed restrictions after vaccination. And he said, I was there were a lot of guys who were on the fence about getting the vaccine. And the only reason we got the vaccine is because we were told, well, if you get 85% of you guys to do it, you can get these relaxed restrictions. So I when I talked to him on the phone, I asked him, can you tell me what specifically you guys were hoping for that you didn't get? And and they weren't crazy restrictions that they were hoping to get lifted. Yeah. They they want so right now they're not allowed to have players over to their homes when they're when they're at home to have dinner. And they were hoping that once players are vaccinated, the vaccinated players can can get together at their homes and and have dinner together. They were hoping that they could see each other in the hotel rooms like you mentioned Ian. And and they were hoping for slightly more relaxed testing. Um these guys have gone through a lot of testing multiple times a day every day and and the, they were hoping that the vaccinated guys wouldn't be tested quite as much. Not that they wouldn't be tested at all, but those were basically the things that and that's all coming from the NBA. Um, the NBA has has a model that once teams are vaccinated, that's what it goes to. And I think that's the the literature that a lot of these players saw and 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 were expecting when they were vaccinated. And but at the same time, I understand why like the NHL and the NHLPA are coming out very strongly and saying we're not lifting restrictions. I understand why they're saying that also. I just don't the communication wasn't good enough. That's to me, that's the the what the bottom line is, is the communication between Robin Leonard and the team and the P- the NHLPA and the NHL. At some point, the communication wasn't good enough. No, and I, I'm always a believer. I don't know how you, where you guys come down on this. I'm a believer that players are not liars. Okay? I, I, I believe that leagues are liars. I believe that teams lie. I believe executives lie. I do not believe, for the most part, players lie. I Like, if you're asking me who I believe in this Robin Leonard versus the league. I'll I'll be on Robin Leonard's side in terms of he probably felt like he was told these. You think Robin Leonard just made this up that that if eighty five percent of our guys were vaccinated, we would like these restrictions would be relaxed. I don't think he's making stuff. It up. It seems like a crazy thing to make up. Yeah, and, and he's he's not making it up. But like I say, that doesn't necessarily mean that the NHL is lying. It doesn't mean that the NHL said we will do this and then backtracked and and lied about it. It, it could be as simple as. At some point in the process, the NHL said, we will look at doing this. And and the and some of the players heard that and thought, okay, that sounds like a commitment. And they see other leagues yeah. doing it and they go, okay, we're going to follow. And the league says, wait a second, we never said for sure. We said, uh, you know, we said we would look at it and we're still looking at it. But at this point, we're not moving forward. Um, and you feel like at that point, uh, were you lied to? No. Were you misled? Yeah, maybe. That might be the right word to use. And uh uh, it, and, and that's still going to lead to some bad feelings um, on on in terms of the players. But I do agree with you. Ian. There's there's no this this isn't something where Robin Leonard just sat there and said, you know what, I'm gonna I'm gonna make something up yeah. and say that in front of the media and in front of the cameras um, just to put pressure on the league. That's that's typically not how these guys think. Yeah, and an- another aspect that that Robin Leonard was bothered by is he he said that part of the reasoning he was given from the NHLPA when he called on Tuesday was that. They, the NHL didn't want to relax restrictions, and, and the NHL has denied this, but the NH- he said the NHL didn't want to relax restrictions 
until all 31 teams could relax the restrictions because they didn't want to give a competitive yeah. edge. And that is what basically sent Robin Leonard over the edge and, and, and made him want to make this public. And that part of it, whether the promises were made or not, I completely agree with Robin on that part of it. I, approaching this in a sense of, well, if all the teams can't relax them, all the players' mental health must suffer. Like, yep. you're yeah. putting competitive yep. edge over the mental. This isn't practice time. This is, this is guys being able to be human beings. Um, I, to me, if one team can relax the restrictions and make those guys' lives a little better for the next couple months, do it. We, we, we shouldn't yep. be determining. Like, I don't think this plays a factor in who's going to win the Stanley Cup. I think these guys are humans. And if players can have restrictions safely and, is, and it's 100% by the doctors and the scientists, they believe that they can safely relax the restrictions, then those teams should be able to relax the restrictions. Absolutely. I mean, we're, well, it, let's face it. We're talking about the Canadian teams here because the, Canada's behind on, on the vaccines compared to the United States. Um, you're, you're right. I mean, this is, I, I'm, I'm all for competitive balance as best you can. But, it, you know, if, if I'm having a tough time, Forcing you two guys to have tough times too doesn't make it any right. better for me. So let's uh, if if that is the reasoning, and again the NHL has has said that 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 wasn't the case. If that is the reasoning, drop that. Just let's make things as when it comes to the mental health of the players, let's make it as as good as it can get for everywhere yep. that we can. And and if that means that some have it better than others, that's life. It's better than the alternative. If the alternative is is everyone has to say at the lowest common denominator. Right. Yeah, listen, that uh, that is well said. Jesse, we'll leave it there. And this was, I, look, we always do appreciate your insight on 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 lines and overs, unders, but uh, this, I think, was much more topical today. But uh, thanks for doing this. We uh, we appreciate you uh, taking the time every week, and uh, we'll get you again next, uh, next week. Thanks for having me, guys. Thanks, Jesse. Building a portfolio with Fidelity Basket Portfolios is kind of like making a sandwich. It's as simple as picking your stocks and ETFs, sort of like your meats and other topics, and managing it as one big, juicy investment. Mmm, now that's pretty good. Learn more at Fidelity.com baskets. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Fidelity Brokers Services, LLC. Member NYSC SIPC. All right, that was uh, boy. That was a really interesting conversation with with uh, with Jesse Granger because I think uh, there's certainly, uh, like you said, Sean, in that segment, in in a year or two from now, I would love to be uh, the person. Someone's going to write a deep dive on this year that happened, the pandemic year, and some of the stories that have come out of uh, players and the challenges they've had. And I think Robin Leonard kind of gave us a peek behind the curtain here this week. And and I'll tell you right now, when it happens, don't in three years when you hear. That the uh, how hard this was on the players. Don't sit there and say, "Oh, well, we didn't know." If right. if you don't know, it's because you're you're trying not to know. Yeah. Uh, listen, let's open up the mailbag here. We got a couple of emails to get to, and then we'll do some uh, this week in hockey history. A reminder: anytime you want to reach us, we would love to hear from you. You can uh, drop us a note. Uh, the email address is the Athletic Hockey Show at gmail.com. The Athletic Hockey Show at gmail.com, or we also love voicemails too. Uh, drop us a voicemail. We'll, we'll play it on the air uh, and, and we'll, we'll kind of answer your question. That voicemail number, it's 845-445-8459. 
All right. So to the email we go, Sean. How about this one? So last week we talked about in this week in hockey history, we brought up the name Frank McCool. And we said, it's one of the best names in hockey history, right? I'm Frank McCool. Well, guess what? We got an email from Joe McCool. That actually might, first of all, that actually might, that might be, be a better. cooler name than yeah, Frank McCool. I think hey, it is. What's your, hey, settle down, Joe McCool. And so yeah. actually, that is my name. I'm, That's the uh, sort of thing you ask somebody, what's your name? And they say, Joe McCool. And you're like, dude, if you don't want to tell me your name, yeah. you say you don't want to tell me. Like, <laughs> exactly. You I love that name. Joe McCool is a great name. So Joe writes in, hey, listening to the podcast this week, I love the Frank McCool discussion. And I come from a family of McCools. And we have our own fantasy league where only the McCools are allowed to play. There's five of us. We've been doing this for years. And the winner each year receives the Frank McCool Memorial Trophy, currently in the possession of my uncle, Louis McCool, who is a first-time winner. So Frank McCool lives on, guys. P.S. The other trophy winners, Bill McCool, Scott McCool, and Mark McCool. You know what? All I've got to say on this is if the name of this pool isn't McCool in the gang. Oh, I know. Then 100%. They, they're doing something wrong. I, that's that's all be. I can think of. McCool yeah. in the gang. <laughs> also, last week we talked about father-son combinations, right? In terms of, um, uh, you know, playing games together and 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 who is the best father-son combo. This uh, on the heels of Nick Felino being traded to Toronto. Uh, Gord from Calgary writes in. And says, hey guys, some uh, thoughts to share on father-son combos with one team or one franchise. Now, if you don't narrow-mindedly just stick to players, maybe the best father-son combo ever with a single team, Dick Irvin Sr. and Dick Irvin Jr., the elder, coached the Canadians for 15 years, winning three Stanley Cups. The younger, a tremendous broadcaster with the Montreal Canadiens and Hockey Night in Canada for decades. That's a pretty good, that's not pretty good. That's a great submission, right? That's pretty good. I mean, if we're expanding out to the broadcasters, then that, that does add, I mean, you could, you could do the, the Foster Hewitt and, uh, as well, but uh, that's a pretty good one. That's uh, if, if, if we're going to expand the playing field a little bit, that's, that one's not bad. You know, and we also, we should point out on Twitter, you and I received a pretty good one too. Pittsburgh Penguins, father, son combo, uh, Greg Malone, and his son, Ryan Malone. You know, Ryan Malone, when the Penguins first turned that thing around with Sid and Gino, 05, 06, 06, 07, Ryan Malone was a really good power forward for that team. Yep. Yeah, he was he was real good. So that that's a good one. And I got one more that somebody sent me. And again, this is sort of you this wasn't a miss by us because you have to you have to play with the definition a little bit here, because we were saying for one franchise. Uh, but somebody reached out and they said, hey, if we're going to, instead of franchise, if we're going to say one market, uh, how about Minnesota, the Parise, oh, JP Parise yeah. with the Minnesota North Stars, and then Zach Parise with the Minnesota Wild, two different franchises. But you know, if you're a hockey fan in Minnesota, you got to watch a father and a son. And, and it, JP Parise was a real good player and, and had some good years and um, with the Stars. And, and obviously, Zach Parise continues to be a big piece of the Wild. So I thought that was a good one, too. Yeah. All right. Let's uh, wrap up. Speaking of uh, uh, Zach Parise, his old team, the New Jersey Devils, they're part of This Week in Hockey History, Sean, as April 22nd, 1988. April 22nd, 1988, the New Jersey Devils went off in a hockey game against a playoff game and uh, against the Washington Capitals. They beat them 10-4. to And in that game... Devils forward Patrick Sundstrom sets an NHL record with eight, count them, eight points in a Stanley Cup playoff game. And I, I, it got me thinking, 
is Patrick Sundstrom, Sean, the most obscure NHL player who holds a pretty significant record? It's He's right up there. I, I, I love that. Man, I love that 88 Devils run because <laughs> yeah. we're talking about a record-setting game. That is, at best, probably the third most memorable thing that happened to the Devils within like a month and a half because you had the John McClain overtime goal to put them in the playoffs. Last game of the, the year. For the first time in franchise history. Huge moment. Massive celebration. This is, remember back, this is when most overtime games ended in ties and a tie wasn't going to do it. So they were down to the last gasp. And then a few weeks after the Sunstrom game, you have the donut incident with Don Koharski and Yellow Sunday and the raincoats and all of this stuff. So uh, the fact that, uh, that you know, oh yeah, ho-hum, a guy just throws an eight-point uh, playoff game in there. Uh, that's that's right up there. I'm going to give you a few others, though, in terms of in terms of obscure records. The first one is one that I, I think we even mentioned a few weeks ago, but uh, Tom Bladen yes, holds yeah. the... NHL record for points by a defenseman. Again, another eight-point game. He's one of only two defensemen. He was the first to have an eight-point game. Uh, and uh, Paul Coffey, some guy you may have heard of, uh, well, also had an eight-point eight game. Uh, but you, Bobby Orr never did it. Go on down the list of all the other great defensemen. Uh, Tom Bladen managed to do it against the Cleveland Barons, so maybe it maybe it only barely counts. Asterisk. Um, I'll throw you a couple other ones, though. Um, and, and this is one I think a lot of fans know because it was – reasonably recent but the nhl record for a shutout streak Bri- not is, it brian, Kassik, is it brian boucher not still? patrick Watt, not martin Roder, brian boucher yeah uh-huh, brian is. boucher that crazy stretch where he had what i think it was five shutouts in a row almost got a six the game that he gave up the goal it was like a seeing eye point shot that uh that got tipped past him uh you you would think of all the legendary goaltenders right. in NHL history uh, it, you know, including some who played in eras where it was very, very hard to score. You think he would be the guy. Uh, and then the other one, and this, this obviously isn't a big record, but the, uh, the NHL record for a shutout streak at the start of a career. I wouldn't even ask streak you if you know, at the start? because there's no so, way that you know this. So, but, but it's funny. Cause I, I think of like Patrick Laleem had the great start where he won. Yes. Whatever. He was the undefeated streak. Yeah. To start to- uh, boy. Most can like the longest shutout streak. So did this goalie have more than one like so two shutouts in a row? Well, or- here's the thing. It's it, it, this this is it. It's it's a guy by the name of Matt Hackett, who, who Matt I, Hackett I probably never heard of. Jeff Hackett, uh, I've heard of. Yeah, not Jeff Hackett. Matt Hackett. I think it was the Sabers, and uh, he had the record. Is it's not a very high rate. It's, it's only like a hundred minutes or so. So nobody's ever started a career with two straight shutouts. And the especially crazy thing about this is Matt Hackett started his career with like 100, 110 minutes of shutout hockey, but never recorded a shutout. Oh, he because was like he a made his guy. NHL debut coming in <laughs> with like 10 minutes into a game, finished the shutout, but didn't get credit for it. And then in the next game, gave up a goal very late. So he he has the record for shutout streak to start a career and also without a shutout. Just a couple more. Um, and this one isn't a record, uh, but it's one of my favorites. Uh, so I, I got to... I got to throw it out there, especially for younger fans who who may not uh, may not remember this one. The 150 point club, 150 points in a season. It has been done 17 times, I believe, in NHL history. Uh, 16 times, I think. Nine of those by Wayne Gretzky. No big surprise there. Uh, Four of them by Mario Lemieux. There's only... Three seasons in NHL history where someone's had 150 points that wasn't Wayne Gretzky or Mario Lemieux. Uh, one of them was Steve Eiserman, 
pretty good player. Might have heard of him. Espo? Another guy was Phil Esposito. Yeah, he was the first one to do it in the in the early seventies. He was the, the he was the first one to get there. And then the last guy to have one hundred and fifty points is it Bernie Nichols? It's Bernie Nichols. Yeah, with the L.A. Kings in in Gretzky's I, I think first year, where you know Bernie Nichols was the second line center and just had a season for the ages. You go on down the Yammer Yager never did it. Uh, you know, on down the list, Adam Oates came close. Mike Bossy came close. Uh, I think Lafontaine, you know, Dion, nobody, Lafontaine, Lafontaine came, came real close. close. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, Bernie Nichols and had 70 goals too. That's and the what? 70 goal club is very, uh, it's, it's, and Bernie Nichols was a good player, but this is, uh, you know, I'm, I'm trying to think of like what the modern equivalent of like Bernie Nichols having 150 points is, uh, I mean, who's, who's the current Bernie Who's Nichols the current the Bernie Nichols? That's like, but, but I mean, here, it's kind of like a Matt Duchesne sort of guy, right? Where you're like, yeah, like he's good, but he's not going to win the score. And he didn't win the scoring title. But he had 150 Gretzky. points. The thing on Nichols is you look at Gretzky's first year in LA and he's dominant and you think, oh, Nichols was riding shotgun with Gretzky, yeah. but he wasn't on his line, no. was he? A little bit of power play time, but he was, <laughs> they were both centers. It was more like, like you know, just, I guess everybody was so focused on stopping Gretzky. Uh, so, so that was pretty crazy. And I'll close with, with the last one. And this is, you know, again, not, not exactly a huge record, um, but I'll be impressed if you can get it. Uh, the single season assist record for a left wing. Now, I'll throw out some names that, okay, it's, that you, it's not. Okay, you know what? Okay, okay. now Matt Nasland was in the mix at one point. You know what? That's a good, that's, that's a good poll because Matt Nasland held the assists. record at one point. Uh, Matt Nasland had a 43-goal, 67-assist season. I love that and, I brought out the okay. mid-'80s yeah. Habs fan <laughs> that's, in Yeah. That's Don't even start with Ryan. It's not Don't even start with Ryan Walter. Okay. So, boy. I'll give you some of the guys it's not. Okay, not Luke Robitaille. It's not Robitaille. He he had some big years. Uh, not not Ovechkin. He's not an assist guy. Not or, Paul Korea. Wait, have we uh, have we determined if Ovechkin's a left winger or a right winger yet? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> we're we, yeah we're in the Hockey Writers Association. We might need some guidance on that. Uh, not Korea. Not Johnny Busick. Not Mark Messier, who was a left winger for uh, several years at the start of his career. Not Michelle Goulet. Um, the, the, the number three on the list is Matt Tanazin. Number two is a guy we talked about a few weeks ago. Kevin Stevens. Uh, a guy who was just an absolute beast uh, for for a period of a few years. So, uh, but the number one guy. Okay, give me give me a hint here. Give, give me some teams. 70, 70 assists. He did it with the Boston Bruins. So since Matt's not, and it's not Oates was a cent. You know what? You know who had a shady hundred point season? Here it is, Joe okay. Juno. Joey Juno is it? Is Joe Juno, the guy. Oh yep. my gosh, thirty-two goals. Oh wait, was he not? Was he a center or no? He he wasn't a no, center. No, he was a winger. In fact, he was the winger on he that was. Cam Neely Adam Oates line. And so he Joe was. I, Juno. I, I, I imagine if we went and looked at the record, we'd probably see a lot of secondary assists. Uh, but yeah, Joey Juno is the only left winger in NHL history to hit the seventy assist mark. Uh, we wow. always talk about you know, records that'll never be broken. That to me always stands as one of the most breakable NHL records. And and by the way, Artemi Panarin was on pace to break it last year. He had 63 assists through 69 games. So if that if we had played out the full season, he may have he may have uh, broken that record, but yeah, for now 27 years and counting, Joey Juno, the pride of a lot was it wasn't he from Alaska? Alaska, yeah. Okay, I think so, so here, with apologies to Scott Gomez, he's uh, yeah Alaska's best player. So okay, let me let me throw out a couple other. 
most goals in a game by a defenseman. That's uh, uh, Turnbull. Yeah, the, that's pretty random, yeah, right? Like five, he, the only five goal game. Yeah, yeah. again, in Turnbull. Even, you know, you would think Coffee uh, on down the, the or some of the guys with just those amazing shots. Uh, you would you would think, but uh, but no. Okay, and then now just to kind of wrap this up. So Patrick Sundstrom has eight points in a game playoff game for the Devils. Mark Johnson had seven points in that game. How do you think he feels? Is he like, yeah. is he like the Buzz Aldrin where it's like, yeah. hey guys, remember me? Like he had seven points and you don't even think about him, right? Just an afterthought. Nobody's even, yeah, nobody even knows he was on the team. That's rough. Yeah. Okay. And that, that's that, rough. And then here's my other thing. And I'm just going to pull it up because I don't, I don't have it in front of me and I want to make sure I'm accurate on this because like, again, we think Patrick Sundstrom is a pretty, uh, what's the word? Like, uh, you know, pretty obscure guy, right? Pretty yeah, random. He's a good player, okay. but he's not a guy you would think is. Right. But did you know this? It In his age 22 season, so his second year in the NHL with the Vancouver Canucks, Patrick Sundstrom had 91 points at the age of 22. I feel like in the history of the NHL, Guys that I didn't know had a 90-point season. Patrick Sundstrom, I had no idea until we did this show today, and I, I wanted to do a little research on him to make sure. You know, I think he's like kind of 60-point guy. He had 90 points as a 22-year-old. Like That's, yeah, I, I, that would, you could go down a rabbit hole, with, with especially the 70s and the 80s on guys like that, I imagine, where you'd be like, wait a second, this Ray Shepard had 50 goals? Are you kidding me? Uh, but yeah, he would, he would be up there. That's wow. I imagine if you would go back and you bought stock in Patrick Sundstrom at, at that point, <laughs> we, we got to close up by the way, just cause I know people are probably yelling at it. The, the, if, if you're talking eight point games, uh, the other classic S- one Sam is the only eight point yeah. game of the two thousands. Yeah. Connor McDavid. No, no. Sidney Crosby. No, no, no. no. Not Sam Ovechkin. Gagne. Sam Gagne. Of yeah. course. Why not? Yeah, unbelievable. And that was a, uh, boy, that was a, a regular season game. Like, it's funny because there's been a couple of games this year where Dreisaitl and McDavid have had like five points in the second period and people are like, yep. uh, alert, alert, Sittler alert. And it's like, actually, why don't we just start with a Sam Gagne alert for the yeah. Oilers and Work then go from up. there, right? I mean, we just, we got to get Mika Zibanejad to play against the Flyers more if we want to see these oh, records man. fall because yeah. he's, he's coming close. All right. Hey, listen, this was uh, this was a ton of fun. Sean, thanks for doing this. Have a great weekend and uh, we'll do this again next week. Right on. Talk then. All right. A reminder, everybody. I mentioned this earlier in the show, but uh, Yarmo Kekalainen, general manager of the Columbus Blue Jackets, he was a guest of the two-man advantage edition of the Athletic Hockey Show with Scott Burnside, Pierre Lebrun, that, available, uh, that episode available for you. Uh, to download, Craig Custance has former NHL goalie and NHL analyst Kevin Weeks as part of the full 60 this week. And our pal Mike Russo on the Straight from the Source podcast has Alex Tange of the uh, Minnesota Wild. That's his guest. So listen, we love to hear from you. If you want to weigh in on anything we talked about today, Robin Leonard, some of these obscure records, anything like that, puck over glass, drop us an email. Again, it's the Athletic Hockey Show at gmail.com or the voicemail it's 845-445-8459 if you're not a subscriber uh, you can join us at theathletic.com slash hockey show